Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. Welcome, everybody. Thanks to Vera for that track, Eartha Kit. Very, very, uh, very on 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 uh, on theme today because we're going to be talking about evil, or at least wondering about evil. Uh, are there evil people? Are there are there are there evil evil men in this world? Um, I'm thinking about the famous phrase uh, from George W. Bush. The Axis of Evil. You remember the Axis of Evil? Remember who was in the Axis of Evil? He's actually actually it's not it's not, it's not a bad identity. He had he had he had North Korea, Iran, and Iraq, right? But what I mean, but what he really meant, you know, I mean, he was obviously obsessed with Saddam Hussein, and he really meant Saddam, the Ayatollah, and Kim Kim Jong Il, right? That that was like, and that's part of what. I think George Bush was trying to say, first of all, to, to use the, the phrase, the axis of evil is to say, there's an axis, like there are, there's an alliance, there's, there are forces of evil in this world, there's a structure of evil in this world that must be dismantled. So that, that, that sentiment uh, is in my mind. And then I think he was also, you know, as we know, he was going after Saddam. And I think that there was also a sense that he he felt that the problem was that the, the countries were led by um, led by. I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted. Just uh, a lot of a lot of folks I'm noticing have their mutes on or off. So, like Jane Sobo, if you could mute yourself, that'd be great. Okay. Um, part of what he was trying to say is that the problem is those leaders, those evil, evil men. And I think. I'm not sure that that's, that is the problem with, you know, geopolitical conflict, but it's at least a theory. And I think if I asked you, who are the evil leaders in the world today, you could, you could imagine what names would start to come up. Is that too simple an analysis? Do they see us as evil? We could talk about that, but there is some notion that um, sometimes we fear these bad men leading these evil nations, the axis of evil. And I say all this because what I wanna look at today with you all is Moses's 
axis of evil. Moses also has a kind of um, a, a, a kind of a, a list of the worst of the worst, the ones that you ought to remember, the ones that really, the problem in the world, the axis of evil. Now, who is on Moses's list? Not Pharaoh, right? that, that's the obvious, it's gonna be Pharaoh. As we can think of other kings, we just saw um, Balak, who we spent a whole Parsha with, he was trying to curse um, Israel. What, you know, it, are, those, are those Moses's um, greatest nemeses? I mean, Pharaoh, it's hard to say, you know. But it actually seems like there are two other names that Moses can't get out of his mind. The real lingering forces of evil in the world for Moses, the ones that he keeps returning to are Sihon and Og. Okay, so we're going to look at those two figures today and try and figure out who are these guys and what is so bad about these two kings. Okay, so let's, uh, this is like, um, this is, this is, um, this is going to be a little bit of a of an investigation into uh, into the absence of a legend, because when it comes to Og, we have lots of legends. We have lots of great legends, and I've I've taught them in this um, class before the legend of Og. But when it comes to Sihon, the other of this <laughs> this axis that we're going to look at today, we really really don't seem to have that much information. So first of all, why Og and Sihon? But secondly, why do we have a whole history of Og and we don't have much to say about Sihon? So that's that's like sort of the sub question today. Okay, uh, that's, okay. I think I've introduced quite enough. Let's let's say a blessing and begin our, our study. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu mitzvotah v'tzivanu la'asok v'divrei Torah. Thank God for the opportunity to keep reading the Torah. Uh, and this is one of those days, you know, where I feel like, oh, here's something I never really thought about before. That's, that's the feeling I have. When we keep reading the Torah, it just seems like, oh, there's a whole history here that I, I've like, spent, you know, half my life reading the Torah. And I still, I never, I never really unearthed this history. So I'm going to try to do that today. All right, let's begin. Um, where does this kind of, uh, this question emerge? Like, who is Sihon? Who is Og? Where, where do we start feeling this question? I will tell you that I feel it. I'm, I'm provoked to this question regularly on Shabbat. On Shabbat. And that is because on Shabbat and not during the week, we recite Psalm 136 famous psalm that is called, um, that, it, that is referred to as like a, a hallel, the great hallel, like it's, it's a song of praise, and one of the great songs of praise, and we insert it on Shabbat in order to praise God, for God's kindness, for God's love is eternal. And every line is God did this, and God did this, it functions a little bit like Dayenu, right? Oh, if only God had just created the world, Dayenu. If only God had just freed us from Egypt, Dayenu. It's kind of a list of all the things that God has done for us. And fair enough, 
I mean, that's, you know, that seems like something we should be thinking about. That seems like, um, that seems like a good way to build our, our, our sense of gratitude and praise. Go through all of the, go through all of the, um, the great, the great deeds, great acts that God has done for us and the Torah is full of them. Um, fine. So, Dayenu, Elu, if God had taken us out of Egypt, that we expect, and God gave us the Torah, God brought us to the land, but, here, let me give you a, a source, but it's surprising to me every week, and we sing it at Ikar, so I notice it. All right, two of the lines are as follows. God, who struck down great kings for God's love is eternal. Let me, let me just give you a little context here, okay? This is Psalm 136, okay? You can, like, we're just gonna sort of scan it, but praise God, praise God for God's steadfast love is eternal, made the heavens, spread the earth over the water, real like start at the beginning kind of stuff, the moon and the stars, and then struck Egypt through their firstborn and brought Israel, there he was crossing the Red Sea, I mean, this is like, this is a big, this is, this is the big stuff. Drowned Pharaoh in the sea, led his people through the wilderness, my goodness. And then all of a sudden, verse 17, who struck down great kings. Here, we'll jump back to our source sheet. Who struck down great kings. Kilolam chazdo, for God's love is eternal. And slew mighty kings, as if you hadn't said it in, in, the, in the last verse. Yeah, you, you, got, you really killed these kings, for God's love is eternal. And then it, there's a verse for each of these kings. Sichon Melech Amori. Sichon uh, is one of the kings because God's love is eternal. It's a funny line to say. Sichon Melech Amori for God's love is eternal. Og Melech Habashan for God's love is eternal. And gave their land as a heritage for God's love is eternal. A heritage to God's servant Israel for God's love is eternal. Okay, and then like, you know, back into the... Uh, back into, uh, there, like, it gets general again. So actually, in some ways, the most specific thing that's happening here outside of Pharaoh, Pharaoh drowning in the army is Sihon and Og. Sihon and Og. So who are these characters? Why are they such a big deal? And the reason that I'm, like, stirring this up, all of this up this week is because it's surprising in Psalm 136 but it comes up again and again and again. And here we, this week, are beginning the book of Deuteronomy. And in the book of Deuteronomy, there's one thing that I say every year, most important thing to remember about the book of Deuteronomy is that it's Moses talking. Moses's voice, Moses's great speech. Um, so what's Moses thinking about? What's Moses obsessed with who does Moses, how does Moses want to tell the story? That's one of the questions we ask throughout the book of Deuteronomy. But take a look at the opening lines of, of Deuteronomy before Moses even starts to speak. These are the words that Moses addressed to all of Israel on the other side of the Jordan. Dun, 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 dun. Lots of place names, lots of times. It was in the 40th year on the first day. Da, 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 da. And verse four of the great introduction to Moses' great speech is after he had defeated Sihon Melechamori, the king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Cheshbon, and King Og of Bashan, who dwelt at Ashtarot and Edre. On the other side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this teaching, this Torah, and he said, okay, so I hope you can get a sense now, like, wow, that is, that's quite, 
That's quite strange and quite prominent. What is this constant return to Sichon and Og, Sichon and Og? Okay. I mean, I could stop here and say, what do you think? What is the problem? But I, I don't want to pause just yet because the whole point is, I don't know, who are these characters? I mean, we do have their battles recorded. We'll look at them. But I mean, if you're anything like me, you're thinking, I don't know, right? Why, why are these such important figures to remember that, that Moses defeated these two kings. Okay, let me give you one answer and then we'll start, and then I'll, I'll open it up and, and see, start to see what you think, okay? Let me give you one answer. Let's go, we're gonna use Rashi. Rashi, the, the great um, commentator on the Torah, um, also has commentary on most of the Hebrew Bible. And here's Rashi's commentary on the book of Psalms. So let's go back a little bit. So Sichon, king of the Amorites and Og, king of Bashan. Why is the Psalm talking about these great kings? And Rashi says an interesting thing. Great kings, Rashi says, Kan, Kan, um, Ramaz, Lamed, Aleph, Malachim. This is alluding, hinting to, what are all the, who are all these great kings? The 31 kings. If you count up all of the battles that Israel went through, actually, there were a lot of kings that, were that died in battle along the way. There were 31 of them actually. And the Psalm is comparing them to Pharaoh and his host and the plagues of Egypt to mighty kings harsher than they. So that's quite something to say that Pharaoh was a big deal, but these kings are even harsher than Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army. I mean, that, that's already quite surprising. And then Rashi says, and Sichon was equal to all of them by himself. Sichon k'neged kulam kol echad Okay, and then Rashi says something that he doesn't usually say. And so it is in the Agadah. And the Agadah means in the legends. Usually though, Rashi tells us which legend he's drawing from. And here he just says, that's the idea that we get from the legends is that Sichon was the, the worst of them all. The, 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 the most destructive, terrible, evil king of them all, worse than Pharaoh and all of the other kings that we've met put together. Okay. Well, why? Why? Why was, why was Sichon such a bad guy? We don't, we don't really know. So he's worse than everyone. And yet they, they're, Rashi's right, there is a constant mention. Okay, and then one other thing, one other thing that I wanna show you before, before we, we start to open up our conversation a little bit, which is that um, the Rashi on, on, the other, on the other piece of Torah that we looked at, that, um, that Deuteronomy introduces the, the speech of Moses and names Moses the speaker and says Moses is also the guy who defeated Sihon and Og. What does Rashi say there? Why, why is it such a big deal? Why is Sichon such a big deal? Because um, even Sichon, even if Sichon uh, had, okay, so the language there is Sichon who dwelt in Cheshbon. Sichon who dwelt in Cheshbon. And Rashi says something that is perhaps a kind of an interpretation, although again, it doesn't unlock too much for me. But even if Sichon himself had not been difficult, uh, but had lived in Cheshbon, 
he would have been difficult because the city was a difficult was a difficult place. And the word for difficult here is kashe, which means both harsh and maybe difficult to defeat. And if it had been a matter of some other city, but Sihon had resided in it, it would have been difficult because its king at least was difficult. So how much more so now that the king was difficult and the land was difficult? In other words, in other words, it seems like what Rashi is saying is what's the big deal about Sihon is that it was a, an evil man leading an evil nation or a, a mighty leader and a fierce people. And it was both, and they were just so ferocious just as a nation that that's what's so, so bad about Sihon. Okay, so we got a couple answers now. We, you know, drawing from very little source material so far, but just noticing them come up again, we have Sihon was the worst king of all, worse than Pharaoh, worse than everyone else put together. Why would that be? Okay. And answer number two, both from Rashi, not only that, but the whole Sihon nation was a terrible and evil nation. Okay. All right. Okay. So here we are. We're, at, we're like at this axis of evil. And let me just pause here and ask, does, does anyone see anything? Does anyone have any theories? Is there anything that's like coming up for folks when you see this reference to Sihon and Og? I should presume not, right? There's no, we have very little to go on. That's, that's my point. There's theories starting to come up. We notice the reference to these two and theories starting to come up, but there's really nothing to say. Okay, so then we might as well dive into the stories themselves. And um, I want to just, uh, I, I, I want to just, again, say the reason that we're talking about this is because we're in now the first part of Deuteronomy. It introduces Moses with Sihon and Og. And then Moses, one chapter later, is telling the story of Sihon. And one chapter of that, after that, telling the story of Og. So it's almost like, it's like, I, I could just, you know, skim past this because who are these guys anyway? But they really are, they take up most of this week's, the opening Parsha to Deuteronomy, the opening speech of Moses, the great sort of um, oratory of Moses begins, is introduced with the idea that Moses is the guy that killed Sihon and Og, and then Moses really recounts it. And I will tell you, I'll tell you, I'll emphasize once again what, what I emphasized in the psalm, which is that Moses goes into greater detail about his battles with Sihon and Og than he does about his battle with Pharaoh. What's, what's going on? How could, the, how could that be true? What is it about Sihon and Og that are so important that we've almost forgot the story of the exodus from Egypt? Okay. All right. So let's take a look. We're, we're going to look at a few vantage points, but uh, here at least we can start uh, look like um, uh, sort of um, um, uh, fishing or uh, searching for uh, tidbits of information. Let's look at how Moses tells the story and see if there isn't anything in the story that tells us why Sihon was such a bad dude. We'll get to Og eventually, but let's first look at Sihon. Okay, Sihon, here we are. This is, this is Deuteronomy, this is this week's Parsha, Parsha uh, Devarim, and uh, Moses is telling this, telling this story. 
up, set out across the Wadi Arnon, God said to Moses. I, I should have another verse. God said to Moses, up, set out across the Wadi Arnon. See, I give into your power. I'm, I'm going to deliver Sichon into your, into your hand and his land. Begin the occupation and engage him in battle. Okay, then there's some interesting language here. The, today, Hayom, this day, I begin. Today is the day that I begin to put the dread and the fear of you upon the peoples everywhere under heaven, so that they shall tremble and quake because of you whenever they hear you mentioned. Okay. Go conquer Sichon, and when you do, this is, this is what's going to make people know that you are, you are not to be messed with. Okay, so that's interesting. Then, says Moses, I sent messengers um, from the wilderness of Kedmot to King Sichon of Cheshbon with an offer of peace, divrei shalom, an offer of peace. Now, that's interesting, too. And I said this. It doesn't actually totally make sense. God says you're going to conquer him, but Moses starts with an offer of peace, okay? And Moses says, let me pass through your country. Let me, let me pass through your country. I'm going to go right on the highway. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, don't just let us take the main road. We're not going to spend any time in your country. Just let us cross. What food I eat, I will, you will supply for money. And what water I drink, you will furnish for money. Just let me pass through. So if, if we eat, we pluck fruit along the way, if we hunt animals along the way, if we find water, drink, I'll pay you for that. Just let me pass through. As the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir did for me and the Moabites who dwell in Ar, that I may cross the Jordan into the land that our God, the Eternal, is giving us. Okay, so that's the request. But Sichon of Cheshvon refused to let us pass through because the Eternal had hardened his spirit. And emboldened his heart in order to deliver him into your power, as is now the case. All right, now we've got stuff to talk about. Now we've got some, uh, we, could, we could start to build a case. What do we see here that might give us some sense of what's so bad about Sichon? What have we seen that might be a clue into why Sichon is remembered by Rashi as the worst of all the kings that Israel ever fought? Ariella, will you start us off? Well, what jumped out at me is the hardening of the heart. Good, good. Why did that jump out at you, Ariella? Pharaoh's heart uh, was ardent. Good. Okay, good. All right, that's the big, that's uh, that's the big uh, gimme here, and and Ariella got it. First of all, I <laughs> I put it I put it in bold, right? But Ariella makes the connection, and this is an important connection. This is this is actually very important because the phrase is so famous to us. It's a little different here. Ki hiksha Adonai et rucho. God hardened his spirit, ve'imetz et levavo, and, and, and emboldened his heart. So it's a little bit of a, you're, you're playing around with the classic phrase, because the classic phrase is hiksha et, et levavo, God hardened his heart. And the person who God 
whose heart God hardens famously is Pharaoh. That's a famous part of the story. We don't even, we spend every year we talk about why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? God made Pharaoh less willing to concede so that, I don't know, God could make more miracles or I don't know, but it makes Pharaoh particularly fierce, but also strangely not in control of himself. God's doing it. Okay, so an echo of Pharaoh, and that certainly gives you a sense of how bad this guy could be if this guy is 40 years later, another Pharaoh. Okay, anything else you see in here? That's great, Ariella. What else? There's one major, um, there's one major cruelty that's just right there in, in, in front of us. There's one, I mean, we, we could fish for lots of things. We could say, oh, the Pharaoh and the dread's gonna be upon you. And that must mean he was really mighty because you could conquer him. But what's the, what's the, what's the big thing that he, the big um, uh, affront uh, that, that Sihon uh, carries out? Yes, uh, uh, Lawrence, Larry Zuckerman. Uh, you went it's it's hospitality um he, it was neutral to him but he actually made it to be beneficial he could make some money on the food and water we're not going to do anything else we just want to pass through and buy some food and water because we need it it's neutral or beneficial to the king and he goes no good good that's right that's right okay that's right God says, I'm gonna, you're gonna conquer these people. It seems like done deal, just go and invade. But Moses, Moses follows a different ethic. And it's an ethic where we actually haven't even learned about yet. It's later in the book of Deuteronomy, the laws of war are such that when you go to do battle, you have to offer terms of peace. Now that's not exactly like sweet loving peace. It's terms of surrender. <laughs> um, but in this case, it actually sounds that there's not, what Moses is offering is let's not go to war, which quite surprising god just said to go to war but moses is saying just let us pass through just let us pass through we just and why why is it is is it important that moses be able to pass through i should have a map for us here but where are these places we intuit this these are the places on the other side of the jordan river where the israelites cross over into the land of canaan this is sort of like the port. So, okay, the, uh, yeah, I, 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 maybe I'll maybe I'll search for a map and, and, and put it up. But um, but that's significant, right? The the, the it, this is the entry, the entry port into the land of. So they're going to have to go through anyway. They're just going to have to. They've come up around this way, and that's you know that's the way they have to go in. So they need this. They need this access, and and Sihon does not give it to them. But as Larry said, it seems like there's no cost to him, and in fact, if anything, he will benefit from it. So it it feels like just I don't know what do you say cruelty. It's a little hard to just say that he's being mean when you you can speculate about other strategic interests that he has in mind. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want these people you know, becoming a powerful nation across the, I don't, I don't know, but it, it is striking the way uh, 
He doesn't let him cross through. No. And then they go to war and, and you know, the Israelites win. So bad move, Sihon, but it does give you a sense of maybe how vicious he is. Okay, so good. So we've got Ariella's connection, which is that he was Pharaoh-like in that his heart was particularly hard. And we've got um, Larry's uh, framework here um, that, 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 that points out that um, not only was was he was he not open to our words of peace, but that it seems like there was there there was no reason for him to deny us other than to to do us wrong. Okay, so we could keep keep speculating a little bit there. Anything else you see in this passage you want to take note of, Kathy? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I sort of a obvious point here, but you know, he compares. Uh, the, the, the descendants of Esau and the Moabites. I mean, it's like, oh, you know, I mean, they're always kind of bad guys and everything. And being an Esau defender, I'm, you know, attuned. But here, it's even these other, you know, enemies uh, allowed this. So, you know, it's, it's Sihon is even worse than, 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 than the other enemies. So, okay, just, yeah, that's really good. Okay, thank you, Kathy. Um, that's right. We we saw, let's put this up, and then I am going to try and Google a map because I think it's starting to get too confusing without a little visual. But um, uh, just let me pass through as the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir did for me. Those are not my friends. Those are not, that's not, that's not a friendly nation, but they still let us pass through. And the Moabites who dwelled in R. And, you know, we don't have great relationships with the Moabites either, but look, they at least let us walk through. But Sihon refused, okay? So Kathy's right. There's some sense that, and this is, this is part of when we think about Sihon and um, Og, this is what I mean by the, um, the axis of evil. There, we have, we have uh, uh, or they had, I don't know if we still have, um, um, we have lots of enemies uh, uh, in the ancient world. There's lots of, um, there's lots of tension in the in the region that we refer the, on the east side, right? Egypt's down south. Canaan slash Israel is north of Egypt, right? They come up this way. I'm gonna put a map on that. And then what we're talking about is the east, east of Eden, right? The east of the on the other side of the Jordan, the, the whole region that we refer to as Midian. Like this, this is a, an important passageway. It's an essential passageway. And then it also it becomes, so for those of you who like to think more of like his, I'm looking at Hal, I'm looking at Matt, you know, the, the like think about the ancient world, the strategy, the history, the, the military concerns of the ancient world. Some of this may be that land, that territory was crucially important. And if there's any sense that they're not going to let us pass through, we got it. We got to kill these guys. So that there, there's, there's, a, there's an analysis there to be made. I remember reading... Now, I want to just say one thing here, and then I'm going to turn to Yael's comment. Sihon, 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 I keep saying. And why am I not talking about Og? Og, the other king, a much cooler name, right? Og, sounds like a monster. Sounds like a, sounds like a, you know, a, a giant. And that is, and I, uh, that is in fact what the, what the legend says that Og was. So I want to, I, 
I, I want a part my whole part of my whole reason for for taking us down this this thorny path is that as I said before, Og's got a legend. We know we've got plenty of great source material for Og, and the legend of Og also starts in our Parsha in Deuteronomy. I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but the important verse here to see is in chapter three of Deuteronomy. So chapter two, we have this whole story of Sihon we just looked at, and um, and we ended in that line that Ariella really picked up on that the Eternal had hardened his spirit and emboldened his heart. Great connection. Then chapter three, we made our way up the road towards uh, Bashan and King Og um, took the field. Don't worry, God said, we're going to defeat him too. And we do defeat him and we defeat all the towns around him, et cetera, et cetera. We, we doomed them as we had doomed the King of Sihon and uh, on and on and on. And then the last thing that it says in the story is that only King Og of Bashan was left of the remaining Rifaim. Now, Rifaim, what are Rifaim? Uh, the commentaries are speculating, oh, Rifaim are like a certain class of people or a certain legendary uh, gr group of people who were, well, as you'll soon see, who were enormous. And the way that the Torah makes that point is to say his bedstead, meaning oh, the place where Og slept, an iron bed, is now in Rabbah of the Ammonites. They, they, they kept it as a memory, his bed, and it's nine cubits long and four cubits wide by the standard cubit. A cubit is like three or four feet. So we're talking about like someone who is like 30 or 40 feet tall by the record of his bed. Okay, that's the Torah's doing that itself. The legends just explode. And um, I, I wrote a whole, I have a book coming out this fall and I wrote a whole essay on the legend of Og. It's like such great stuff. I mean, so, uh, the legend of Og is like, you could just, you know, we'll have that class. We've had it before and we'll have it again. But, but a lot of what I'm trying to do in this class is, is to say, okay, but Moses always says Og and Sichon. Where's the legend of Sichon? Where's the legend of Sihon? So you can see how why we're how um, these two figures are kind of compared, and one gets a legend of his own. The other one, we we, we never fully unearthed the legend. Rashi is giving us version. Oh, he was the worst king of all. But why? Why? Okay. So let's continue exploring that. Yes. All right. Um, let's turn back to Larry. Although I think it's not Larry, but thank you. Hi. Thank you. Um, Tell me your name so again. I, oh, it's Laura. Uh, and, yeah, thank you. Um, this is a, a, a really good um, series of insights. I wanted to circle back briefly to the nature of evil, why this king would be considered to, um, you know, uh, be the, um, the top dog in the evil nation. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there might be something to that. So in other words, what we have here is an offer of peace. And it's gratuitous for that king who has great power and privilege to say no, uh, which suggests something which would be the arbitrary exercise of power, which also could be interpreted as abusive. Mm -hmm. um, and when we begin to see this kind of arbitrary exercise of power, as an example, let's go back to Pharaoh just briefly and say, he, he hardened his heart, God hardened his heart, but he had his reasons, even if we don't agree with his reasons, and, and he had a list. Uh, this guy has no reasons. It's completely arbitrary and unreliable. 
good. That's thank you so much for that, Laura. That's that's right. That deepens the 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 questioning that we were we were just doing. Like what 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 is it that makes this such a an axis of evil nation? And Laura's saying, well, let's think about evil and let's think about some of the details that we've been reviewing here, notably the 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 denial of safe passage. And as as Larry said, you know, when there was no re like when it would have been even to your benefit. And it seems, Laura, Laura says, it's coming from the same Zoom box. Uh, it seems <laughs> that um, that there that uh, at least the shot, the simple way to read this is that Sihon wanted us to suffer, and that Sihon something about his own. He got off on his own power, like he enjoyed the fact that he was powerful and could make people suffer, and that's a distinction. And there are, what is, you know, it's, it's, it's too easy sometimes to be like, oh, the evil men running, you know, bad, you know, uh, I, you know, you can fill in the blanks, right? Bad this leader, bad this leader. But it, usually that's, that's like, come on, it's not about that one guy. It's a whole history and nation and conflicts and cultures and, you know, but sometimes you get the feeling that the person who landed in that top position loves being powerful and loves exercising that power with in the form of cruelty. And that's what Pharaoh was. And that's what Sihon is. Someone who, who enjoyed, I was just watching uh, um, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? It was like all these scenes with Darth Vader. And that's what Darth Vader represents. That's what the, the, the empire represents in the Star Wars mythology is just, Someone who wants to make you suffer, wants you to know the, 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 the point of their rule is to establish that you will be, um, you will be uh, submitted before them. And there's some, there, that's, a, that's a certain kind of leadership and that kind of leadership perhaps is what Sihon and Og represent and why they're so dangerous. Okay, great. All right, um, we have eight, eight minutes left. And I, um, there's one more important piece of text that we have to consider. And I think there's at least one more clue that, you know, we've done a lot of good work now in trying to figure out what, what was so bad about Sihon. Um, but there's one more important clue because yes, Og has all of these legends. It has this verse where he was so big and all these legends develop around Og. And I encourage you to, to look at the legend of Og, really wild stuff. But Sihon, where... Here's the legend of Sihon. Remember Rashi said, oh, so it is in the, in the Agadah. He is the worst king of all. Where's the legend? The truth is, the truth is there is, um, there is a kind of a, a legend of Sihon recorded in the Torah itself. Because remember, Moses is recounting the battle of Sihon, but that battle took place back in the book of Numbers. So we're going to go back and look at the book of Numbers. We're going to get most of the same information that Moses gave us. But then, well, then you'll see. Okay, so let's take a look. Last, last major piece of text today. Okay, so Israel now sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, let me pass through your country. We will not turn off. In this is back now in the book of Numbers. We'll not turn off into fields or vineyards. We'll not drink water from wells. We'll follow your king's highway until we've crossed your territory. It's always... Interesting to compare Deuteronomy account to numbers to the earlier in the Torah. And Moses uh, uh, often makes 
interesting switches, but we're not going to pay that much attention to today because it's mostly the same story. But Sihon would not Israel, let Israel pass through his territory. Sihon gathered all his troops and went out against Israel in the wilderness. He came to Yahaz and engaged them in battle. But Israel put them to the sword, took possession of their land, etc., etc., place names. And Israel took all those towns, etc., etc., place names. And Hezbon, now look at this last line. Hezbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against a former king of Moab and taken all his land from him as far as the Arnon. Now that's interesting information. Sihon is known to have taken land from other kings in the region. Probably shouldn't surprise us at this point. And in fact, you, this, you may remember this because we, we read this at the beginning of Parshat Balak, another one of our enemy kings that Moses doesn't seem to care too much about it after the fact. Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was alarmed because the people were so numerous, and Moab dreaded the Israelites and said, wow, now they're going to get us. Why? Because they saw what they had done to the Amorites. Balak, who was king of Moab at that time, Okay, but earlier there was a different king of Moab and, and Sihon had taken all of their land. So there's history there. Okay, fine. So that's one point. But the, the last thing that I want to show you is quite unusual, is that the Torah stops and gives us a little poem. And I don't know exactly how to translate this. Al-Kain Yomru HaMoshlim. The translation in Safari is, therefore the bards would recite. But a mashal is more like a parable. So it's like they would tell a little story about this, and this story is supposed to teach you something about who Sihon was. So this is the legend of Sihon. This is the thing that we actually should have been paying attention to all along. So let's read the poem. It's not very easy to understand, but let's see if there are any last clues in this poem, in this mashal, this allegory, this, I don't know, how do you say it, the bards um, would recite. Um, Let's see if there's anything left for us to understand about Sihon here. Okay. Um, come, Bo Cheshbon, come to Cheshbon, firmly built, and well-founded is Sihon city. For fire went forth from Cheshbon and flame from Sihon city, consuming Ar of Moab and the lords of Bamot by the Arnon. Okay, that's not easy to understand, but seems like, boy, they were, they burst out like a fire. Woe to you, O Moab, you are undone, O people of, 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 of what is that? Mo woe to you, O Moab. Oy lecha Moab, avadata am kamosh. You are done, O people of kamosh. His sons are rendered fugitive and his daughters captive by an Amorite king, Sihon. Yet we have cast them down utterly. Cheshbon, along with Dibon, we have wrought desolation at Nofa, which is Hard by Medeva. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Ugh, just, I don't think it's, it's near, which is, which is near Medeva. So Israel occupied the land of the Amorites. Okay. Now, what is the most interesting piece of information we got from this little poem? Oh, the, they were so mighty and they attacked all the regions, but we got them. We got them. But there's one other little piece of information there. You see it? See the other thing that, that Sihon is known for besides taking the other land of the region? What was the other thing that he does? What is the other thing that he does? Woe to you, Moab. You are, done, you are undone, people of Kamosh. 
his sons are rendered fugitive and his daughters captive. Natan banav pleitim uvnotav bashvit. Lamelech emri Sichon, the king of the Amorite Sichon. So Sichon was not just the kind of guy that wouldn't let you pass through. Not just the kind of guy that's taking all of the land in the regions that he can get. And think about axes of evil and what we fear in terms of them spreading and taking over. But he was also the, he was also, we now learn, or we, I guess we learned earlier, he was also the kind of king that once he conquered you, your, all of your children would be, would be taken captured and the, the men would be conscripted and the woman would be, well, what do you think the woman would be conscripted for? He's going to turn your sons into his slaves and your daughters into his concubines, right? So that, now that's an important snippet of information there. We've been building this case against Sihon. Why was Sihon the worst? Well, I mean, certainly we got to add this in the case, is that not only strategically did he own the land that we needed, not only did he prevent us from getting there, not only et cetera, all of the things we've been saying alone, but he was the kind of person who was going to take your children away and do with them as he wished. And that's, that's what made him so especially terrifying. Okay, let's take a, one last comment from Payam. I'm just thinking about the lack of information and of about Mouse and Vonnegut about the human imagination is far worse than the truth. And if you tell the truth, people don't believe it. You know, Mouse is about the Holocaust. And when he was talking about the Holocaust, he decided to use mice and cats mm. to break through. And when Vonnegut was talking about his World War II experience, he turned into a weird sci-fi novel. Mm. I think the Bible and not giving us information, it's just saying he's so bad we can fill it in the blanks. And our imaginations are far worse than what they could have written. Good. That's a great note to end on. Uh, I love the way you framed that, Payam. Um, that's what we've been trying to figure out all along is exactly uh, the, the, that sort of lack of information. The way that the Torah, and not just the Torah, but the book of Psalms, the book of Judges, the book of Joshua, keeps returning to the great last battles of Moses, Sihon and Og, and yet doesn't really tell us what, what was so bad. Why are those the final battles to remember? Why are, why are those so burned in Moses's brain and in the brain of the later composers of biblical literature? We don't know, but as Payam says, when we don't know, let the legends fly. Right. And with Og, we've got such juicy material to work with, right? Because he's apparently gigantic. So he himself, we can just think of as a monster, a giant, a, you know. But Sihon, we have even less information, but I think we've done a good job in this class at least beginning to construct a case that would help us understand why these two figures stand out in Moses's historical memory, even more than Pharaoh, as his axis of evil. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, 
Uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us, uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And, um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that, that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week. 